the love chapter, very familiar chapter, and we're continuing our series entitled Level Up, Level Up, and we're focusing today on leveling, leveling up in our marriage, and specifically, I want you to learn how to love the one you're with, love the one you're with. In verse 13, we read, and now abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, oh, Holy Spirit, Savior Jesus the Christ, we thank you, oh God, that we are able through prayer to enter into your very presence. And we have come together with gladness because you are all together good. God, our soul is caused to wonder at the majesty of your magnificent awesomeness. God, we just want to pause for a moment to join with all of creation that is celebrating your wonder, oh God. God, we join with the trees and the sun. We join with the rushing wind and the waves that are dashing. We join even, oh God, with the rain as it fell upon the earth today, saying amen to the God who is the creator of the very heavens and the earth. All things of yours are God. We stand as clay in the potter's hands. And today, oh God, we're asking that you would mold us. Oh God, we're asking that you would convict us. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we don't want to leave this experience of worship the way we enter. May we become like your son. And in so doing, we will cause men to see our good works and they will glorify you, our Father in heaven. We bless you, we thank you, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated at home. I hope you grab someone's hand. We are going to dig into the Word of God today, and whether you're married or not married, this passage of the Word of God is going to bless you. So don't... Uh, be selfish. Reach out to somebody. Get them uh, connected right now as we look into the Word of God so that we can learn from God's Word how to love the one you're with. In 1970, uh, Stephen Still wrote a generationally popular song entitled, Love the One You're With. Most of us are probably familiar with this song from hearing it sung by the Isley Brothers. That's how I first heard about Love the One You're With. Now listen to some of the lyrics of the song. If you're down and confused and you don't remember who you're talking to, concentration slips away because your baby is far away. Well, there's a rose in a fitted glove, and the eagle, fly, or the eagle flies with the dove, and you, if you can't be with the one you love, honey, 
Love the one you're with. Love the one you're with. Love the one you're with. Don't be angry. Don't be sad. Don't sit crying over good times you had. There's a girl right next to you, and she's just waiting for something to do. And there's a rose in the fitted glove, and the eagle flies with the dove. And if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. Turn your heartache right into joy. She's a girl and you're a boy. You can get together, make it nice. You ain't going to need any more advice. And as there's a, robe that, a rose that fits the glove and the eagle flies with the dove, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you with. Love the one you with. Now, when Stephen Stills wrote this song, he wasn't talking about biblical love. What he was really describing is lust that is often mistakenly believed to be the same thing as love. Although biblical love does not require that we, un that we unselfishly love the one that we are with in the same way let me, let me try that again. Although biblical love does require, does require that we unselfishly love the one that we're with in the same way God has demonstrated his love for us through his son. So we don't follow Stephen Still's example of loving the one we're with to get, off, get our lust off, but we do know that the Bible teaches that we are to love everyone in the same way God showed his love for us through his son. In marriage, loving the one that you're with means that you love them according to their love language, as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Now, it's not going to be a bunch of hooping and hollering. This is going to be a teaching sermon. So I want you to get your, get your ink pen out, get your tablets out. You want to record the things that I'm going to share, the principles that are going to be shared from the Word of God. Loving the one you with isn't an arbitrary, random, illogical, uninformed, one-size-fits-all. I love everybody. And that ain't the kind of love I'm talking about. Love, loving the person that God has given you, loving your own family and loving yourself is not a one-size-fits-all. It is a custom-made, conscious decision that is based on being informed. Biblical love is never lazy or crazy, but it is always informed. Let me say that. You can't love somebody biblically and be lazy about it, and you can't genuinely love someone and be crazy. And that, I mean, being illogical and, and signing off on things that don't please God, biblical love is always informed. It is active, sacrificial, unconditional, in spite of, and always others-focused. That kind of love is called agape love. It is in spite of, unconditional, it is active, it is sacrificial, and the focus is putting the interest above, about, of others above your own. That is biblical love. That's agape love. Even God rejects love from us 
that ignores his love language. God has a love language. He tells us how to love him in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. What God says, the way I want to be loved is to be the first and most important love in your life. And the way that you express my love language to me is love for me starts from the inside out, not from the outside in. It's not based on out external things. It starts with your, with your heart, with your soul, and your mind. It is based on a pure motivation to place God as the primary person, the object of your love in your life. And just like God has a primary love language, so does Jesus. Here's how Jesus says, I want love to be expressed to me. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so while God emphasizes love starting from the inside out, Jesus says, you will demonstrate your love for me and recognition of my love language by, by evidencing what is on the inside by what you do on the outside. And so Jesus said, if you love me, the proof will be in how you act. God says, if you love me, you will have an attitude in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. It'll start from the inside out. Jesus says, no, I want to see what's on the inside by what you do on the outside in response to my word. Now, as we continue our series, I'm entitled Leveling Up on Your Marriage today, I'm going to be sharing part one of a mini-series within the larger series of Leveling Up in Your Marriage. And today I want to focus on the first part of a three-part uh, 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 sermons on loving the one you're with. Today we're going to concentrate on loving the one you're with on purpose, on purpose. And next week we're going to talk about loving your, the one you're with in purity, how to love your mate impurity where there's no extramarital thoughts or behaviors. So we'll talk about that next week. And finally, the third part of the series, Loving the One with You're With, is going to be loving the one that you're with with passion based on obedience to the Word of God. So today, loving the, your, your mate, the one you're with on purpose next week in purity, and finally, with passion. Now, loving the one you're with on purpose is central to the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. It's a central idea of how to love a person in a way that God clearly delineates how love is to be expressed. Here's what we're going to understand about loving the one you're with today from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First, we're going to learn that love Love is essential. For any healthy relationship, love is essential. In verses 1 through 3, we're going to see that. And then we're going to see that love is edifying. Love builds up in verses 4 through 8. Love is edifying. Then finally, we're going to look at in verses 9 through 13, and we're going to discover that love that is biblical, that loves the one it's with, is enduring. It is enduring. It is essential, it is edifying, it is enduring. And so in verses 1 through 3, love is essential. We see this in the words 
from the Apostle Paul as he is superintended by the Holy Spirit of God. He said, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass, a clanging cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so as I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I offer my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And what we want to discover is, through those words, Paul is saying, love is essential. Love is absolutely necessary for any healthy relationship. If we're ever going to please God, if we do anything that lacks love, God considers it, consider it, considers it useless. Love is essential. First of all, we're going to see that love was essential to, for our salvation. You can't, we couldn't have been saved without love. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So love was necessary for our salvation. It wasn't because we were so good. It wasn't because we were, going to, we were so impressive or we had anything to offer. Love lifted me. Love was what caused God to save me. Love also, not only does it save us, but it enables you and I to serve others. If we didn't have love poured in our heart by God, we wouldn't be capable of doing anything that was, that was an overflow out of the agape love that God put in our heart. Listen to what 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says. We love because he first loved us. The reason why we can love anybody is because God first loved us. And then he deposited into our life agape love, the capability of loving in an unconditional, in spite of, sacrificial, active way. Love also constrains us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15, the Bible says the love of Christ controls us. It constrains us. If it wasn't for the love of Christ pulling us back and protecting us from doing everything that our sin nature would drive us to do, we would be just as guilty as the next sinner if it had not been for the love that constrains us. So the love of Christ not only enables us to serve and saved us from sin, but it constrains us from doing the things that we would otherwise do if it wasn't for his love. Love also gives value to spiritual gifts. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. Paul said, even if there was a special angelic language, and there is not, because every time the angel spoke, it was always in a known human language. He said, but even if there were, and I was capable of speaking in that kind of language, even, and if I had the gift of prophecy and knowledge and faith to move all mountains, he says, those gifts, and, and adding the rest that he gives in, in chapter 12, he says, without love, they're useless, they're meaningless, they, they, they have no value to God. He also talks about human sacrifices being worthless without love. He said, if I gave my last dime to feed a hungry beggar, without love, God says, it didn't accomplish anything. It had no meaning. It had no value. He said, if I made the ultimate sacrifice and gave my life to be burned at the stake 
for someone else without love, God says, it's meaningless. A marriage without love is like a body without a heart. Your marriage may appear to be alive and well, but a loveless marriage is nothing but a corpse. Marriage without love is like a plane without wings. It just doesn't fly with God. Love is to marriage what oxygen is to our lungs. Love gives life and health to your marriage. When love dies, your marriage is dead. And so the scripture makes it very clear that you cannot really have a God-honoring marriage or relationship with your children, extended family, or with your neighbors if you don't have God's kind of love for them. Love is essential. Love is essential. You can do, and we're going to, I don't want to jump ahead, but the first thing that you need to understand, that if you're operating out of a spirit that lacks a desire to place the interests of your wife or those who you're serving first, God says, I give you an F minus. You're failing. I don't care how impressed people may be of you, how you conduct yourself in public, what you say positive about your mate around others. If in reality, those things that you're doing are not motivated out of a heart of love, God says, Zero. Zero. Not only is love, edify, uh, love essential, love is also edifying. It builds up. Listen to what verses 4 through 8 say about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor or act rude towards others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily provoked. And it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Love edifies. It is based, love that is honoring to God will build up your marriage. It will not tear it down. Now, here's what's interesting about how we express love to others. We tend to define love based on how we, love, how we give love to others. And so what we're going to see is, if you want to know your language of love, the question is, how do you show it to other people? And when you're doing acts that express your love for them, that, in fact, often is what you think will be interpreted by your mate as them experiencing love for you. But what we're going to see, the way you would like to experience love from your mate is not necessarily the language of love that your wife speaks. And so we tend to love other people based on how we want to receive love. That is why we are shocked. When our mate says, after many years, I remember a man had been married to his wife for 35 years, and he went home, and he says, um, you don't love me. And the wife said, well, what do you mean? I, I, well, you don't, what do you mean I don't love you? 
I, I, and here, and the normal response is, yeah, I fix your food, I clean your house, and I, I, I had all these children for you, and, I, and, and not only do I do all those kind of things, did I go to work from nine to five just like you? What do you mean I don't love you? Or the wife says after uh, uh, multiple years of marriage, you don't love me. He said, what do you mean I don't love you? Look at that car you driving. Look where we live at. Look at all the hours I work. Look at the fact that every, every week, I, every time I get paid, I bring my paycheck home to you. I, how do you mean I don't love you? I tell you all the time I love you. But she said, no, no, no. I don't feel loved by you. If that's, the question becomes, for the wife or the husband who is now bewildered because after these, all these many years, she's saying, you don't love me, and I have never felt loved by you. And he said, well, if, if you don't feel love, you just don't know what love is because I've been loving you since we've been married. The problem is you haven't necessarily been loving your spouse, the one that you're with, based on the language of love that God has given them. Now, before we touch on specific examples of how love should be expressed to the one that you're with, let me just share a couple thoughts. I'm going to share a couple thoughts. Listen to what I believe God would have to say to you today about how to understand ways. So how are you going to explain love? Love is emotion. No, no. In the scripture, love is not an emotion. It's a commitment. And when we're acting out of the obedience of the commitment that we make by an act of our will, then our emotions will say, hey, by the way, this feels good. But I don't get up to go to work every day because I got a great feeling about going to, to a job and, 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 and working every second that I'm there. I, I would much rather be doing something else. But the reason I get up and go to work is because I got a commitment to my family that I'm going to do everything I can to take care of my family. Well, that commitment of going to work every day is a statement that says, not only am I being responsible, but I love you. So love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment that we make to the one that we believe that God has given us. Now, this principle, first of all, here, here's the first principle. Each act of love you or I offer is never truly God's kind of love or agape love if it ignores the need of your, your spouse. If you don't meet the need, it doesn't matter what your intentions were, how long you worked at it, and, and, and how much it cost, if it wasn't what she really needed, you have not loved her according to her love language. That doesn't mean she should pound you over the head and you're a terrible husband. No, most often they're grateful for what we did. But it doesn't necessarily cause them to feel touched in their heart and to know that there's been an intimate encounter. It kind of reminds me of this. There's a young man who was drafted into the military, and on the day that he was about to depart for an assignment that would last a year in the war zone, he proposed to his girlfriend, who became his fiancée, and he said, the, the, the first day that I get back after I finish my assignment that's going to last a year, I'm going to take you to the justice of the peace. I'm going to marry you. And she said, okay. And he put a ring on her finger. And he said, I'm going to send you a letter from wherever I am. Every single day you'll get a letter. 
And just like he promised, when he got on the war zone, he mailed that woman that he was going to marry a letter. Every single day, there was a, a letter in the mail. And then finally, the year was up. He runs home. He knocks on the father's door. And he says, I'm here. I'm going to marry your daughter today. Would you have her come to the door? We're going down to the justice of peace. And he said, my daughter doesn't live here anymore. He said, well, what do you mean? I've been sending letters to her every day. He said, well, she moved out. She said, well, where did she move? Well, she moved with her husband. What do you mean she moved with her husband? She's supposed to marry. No, who did she marry? She married the postman. She married the mailman. Now, <laughs> it was nice that he sent letters to his potential wife, but that wasn't what she needed. She needed attention. <laughs> she needed somebody in flesh and blood. She was getting a letter from the guy who proposed, but she got to see the mailman every day, and she married the guy she saw every day. I want you to know until you meet a, meet a real need, it's like sending a letter to somebody who needs to be in your physical presence. You need to understand what the need is in order for you to be expressing genuine love to the, to the person that is the recipient of your love. So each act of love you offer is never truly agape if it ignores your spouse's real need. There are at least five languages of love. And one of them will be your spouse's primary way that they need to experience love. And this is not only true in marriage. It's true with your children. It's true with your grandparents. We all have a primary language of love, and there will be some variances to it where you can uh, have two that are, are very strong, but there's going to be one that's predominant. And so you need to understand that for your grandchildren. You need to understand that for the children that you're in. What is their way? How do they receive love? How can you love the children you with? It's easy to love somebody down at the daycare. It's easy to love your friends at work that you don't know. But how do you love the people that live under your roof, that get under your skin, that get on your nerves? How do you love the ones that you're with? You need to learn what their love language is. One of the languages of love is Acts of service, and that is doing something to help your spouse, just doing something. A sister goes crazy when her act of love is acts of service. The brother gets the vacuum cleaner, and he just going hoovering around the house, and all of a sudden, her palp heart palpitations and, 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 and visions of all types of, and, you know, uh, uh, fantasies start going through her mind because he just vacuumed the floor. He washed the dishes. Or he said, honey, you don't have to cook dinner tonight. I got it. For her, he might as well have given her a billion dollars because her, her language of love is acts of service. Or husband, whose, whose language of love is acts of service. And you'll know this by the thing. He's showing you love. He's not telling you he loves you. He's not touching you. He's not doing a whole bunch. But he's always doing something for you. Wonder why he's doing something for me, because that is the way he needs to receive love. And so when you meet your husband at the door with his favorite beverage, and it's not alcoholic, it's not alcohol, <laughs> okay? Uh, it's not something you smoke. Uh, uh, you meet him at the door, and you invite your husband to uh, just uh, uh, sit down and, 
and allow you to bring his plate to wherever he's sitting? Or uh, can I fix your favorite meal? And, and this dude, now he, about, he was tired when he came in, but all of a sudden something just kicks in, and, you know, the, 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 the Israel in him kicks in because he's feeling love because the acts of services that you've done. Acts of services. He says... Uh, amen. I remember something that really touched my heart. After Lois Evans, the wife of Tony Evans, died, she was Dr. Lois Evans. And I just remember her when I went back to Dallas, Texas. And I hadn't been there for many years. And uh, I, my best buddy and I, we were, we were uh, uh, just walking through Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, this mag, uh, mammoth, enormous, magnificent building we're walking through. And then all of a sudden, I hear my name, Tony, Tony. And it was Tony, it was, it was Lois Evans. And she started running in my direction. And she ran, into, ran to me and just embraced me. And she grabbed me by my hand. And she just burst into her husband. He was doing, Tony Evans was doing a counseling session. She says, here's Tony, here's Tony. You've got to stop. And uh, when I left Texas, I was having some serious marital problems. And it didn't look like my, my, it looked like my world was about to come to a close. And she was so happy that the Lord had restored me. But here's what blessed me. When Tony Evans was talking about how his wife passed away, he, was, he, he started describing his, his wife in, in, in his love language. He didn't call it love language. He said, when I look back over my wife's life, he said, I realized that her fingerprints are over every aspect of my life, every detail. He said, there would not be a Tony Evans if it had not been a Lois Evans. There would not be a commentary. There would not be a church. There would not be a doctor's degree. He said, my wife, through acts of service, has made me into the man that I am today. And some of you know how prolific Tony Evans is, but his wife's language of love, as she expressed it to him, is a perfect example of how a wife, when she recognizes that her husband's language of love is acts of service, what that could actually mean. Then there's giving of gifts, and it's not the cost of the gift, but it's the thoughtfulness of the gift that you give. So there are people, if you just buy something for them, or you you walking home and you pick up a, a bunch of daisies and you take them, oh, you got that for me? I can't believe it. You thought that much of me? And, and now we're not trying to be cheap and, and, and just irresponsible and, 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 and trifling. No, you, you genuinely wanted to bless your spouse. So you learn that if her act of, if her language of love is receiving of gifts, you find out, if, once you find out, you know it's not about cost. It's the quality of your motivation to think about him or her and to give them something because that gift, that tangible evidence to them is saying, I love you. And you, they feel love when you give them a gift. Now, you can, do, you can do acts of service. You can clean the house. You can, re, you can build them a brand new car. You can buy, and they, they still don't feel love. But if you buy them something, they, 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 they're ready to run through some walls for you. Then there's physical touch. Oh, brother, yeah, that's mine. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not even talking about sexually. And not necessarily sex. It may lead to that sometimes, but it's often 
Like my wife said, you gonna hold my hand? We walk into the mall, who gonna hold your hand in all this crowd and mobs of folk? There's something about that for her blesses her. And so if your language of love is physical touch, holding hands, cuddling, sitting on the couch together, rubbing your spouse's tired feet. I ain't rubbing nobody's feet. I ain't no servant. Do I look like some slave to you? No, 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 no. You, you are your husband or your wife's servant. We are in the marriage to serve one another. And if my husband's feet or my wife's feet are tired, I ought to be happy to rub her feet or to, to massage her shoulders or to hug her without any intention of it ending up in, in, in a sexual act. Sometimes it's just a kiss on the forehead or a kiss on the cheek or peck on the ear. Now, you need to understand there's some people who don't like to be touched. I hope you're not married to one of those folks. At least they should be wanting to be touched by you. But some folk forgot when they got married, they weren't nuns. They hadn't sworn their, their bodies to celibacy. And all of a sudden, you no, 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 that shouldn't be true in marriage. But if your wife's language of love or your husband's language of love, they want you to touch them in a meaningful way. You're not just patting them on the head or slapping them on the neck or pinching them real hard. Oh, I love you, girl, punching them in the shoulder. No, 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 no. It has to be based on their genuine need. So if your mate's language of love is physical touch, then you need to understand how and what touches mean the most to them. There's nothing like holding someone's hand and not saying anything. Just holding their hand or standing somewhere and holding, embracing one another. When's the last time you embraced your wife? Just held her. When's the last time she walked up to you when you came in the door and just held you and said, baby, I'm just so glad you're here? It wasn't even what she said. It's the fact that, no, who, when's the last time anybody held you, especially since we've been in the pandemic? Some of you can't wait to get back in church because the only hug you're going to ever get is when you come to church. That shouldn't be. So if your mate's language of love and you being biblical about love is sacrificial in spite of unconditional active, you're not going to base it on, hey, I was just joking with my sister and my, my mother when we grew up. She never said she loved us. And you know, no, you ain't no hugging. We don't do no hugging. That just what that wasn't seen. So, so, so some men think that's not masculine to hug or to hold a baby. No, that may be your mate's language of love. And because you never did it, they didn't feel loved by you. Even in spite of all the things that you did do, you didn't do what they needed most. And that was physical quality time. That is focusing, focused and uninterrupted time on purpose. That's my wife's language of love. This is, pers this is a personal one. This is personal one-on-one -on -one time that you share with your mate. It could happen every day. It's not necessarily a date night. You should have a date night. There should be times when you take your spouse out. But you can have a time designated in your day that you're not answering any telephones, that you're not watching TV, that you're not looking at your tablet, you're not responding to emails, you're not on Facebook, but this is the time quality time for you and your spouse, because when you give them that undivided attention, they feel loved. They feel like they are your priority. Here's another one, words of encouragement. This is my language of love. 
I feel like I can climb Mount Everest. Man, I'll be trying stuff when I get words of encouragement. Uh, uh, these are words that build up rather than tearing your mate down. And a lot of men have this as their primary language of love. Um, it, uh, it, 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 it's such words like, I think, here's, here's some suggestions of the kinds of things that you could say to your spouse if his or her language of love is words of encouragement. You could say, I thank God for you. I appreciate you. You did an amazing job today, an amazing job. Well, he grown, she grown. Why'd you? I mean, that's kind of like when we were kids, they put a little star in a happy face. We don't ever grow out of needing that kind of encouragement. Put a happy face on my day. You did an amazing job. I admire you for the hard worker you are. You make me feel safe. You ever say that to a brother whose language is love? You talk about his chest is going to swell up and he's going to feel like he's King Kong taking on Godzilla. You know, you, 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 you make me feel safe. I feel secure because of you. You, may, you, 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 you look nice today. When's the last time you told your wife, you sure look nice today. You are so pretty. Oh, I love your hair. How many times has she gotten her hair done? You didn't acknowledge that she had her hair done. You look nice today. The words of encouragement, my life is better because, of that you're, because you're in it. Have you ever said that to your spouse? My life is better because you're in it. When's the last time you said to your own mate, to the one you're with, I love you? I love you. Some of us are like the man. He, 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 he was having marital problems, so he went to his pastor. He said, Pastor, he said, sometimes I love my wife so much. I love that woman so much, Pastor. I mean, I'm just crazy in love with her. I love her so much that I almost, I almost tell her. When's the last time you said to your mate, I love you? When you fail to love the one you're with based on their language of love, they feel unloved. They might not even know how to tell you what their language of love is, but if you watch how they express love to you, that will usually give an indication to you that it's acts of service, quality time, physical touch, giving of gifts, or words of encouragement. What is your mate's language of love? What are your children's language of love? What do they respond to most and feel love the most when you show it? Now, here's, some, here's how we can show love, love to the one that we're with right from the scriptures. Uh, these actions are given to us in the word of God. Now, write these down. Write these down. Write in the word of God. First thing that we can do, the Bible says love is patient. Put your name there. Tony is patient. Will is patient. Whatever you, put your name there. Love is patient. That means love waits without being agitated. Love doesn't pace the floor as it's waiting. Okay, you're going to come one. You're going to get it together. Love allows God to work on your mate at his own pace. And while God is at work, because God, the Bible said, all things, he's causing, he's causing all things to work together for the good. God is at work. He who began a good work in us, the Bible said, he will perform it, not you or me. He will perform it until the day of Christ. Patience waits on God to develop the characteristics in your husband's life. And as patience waits, 
it is actively loving based on the language of love. God has revealed to you that your mate most needs. Love is kind. It's kind. It seeks ways to intentionally bless others. Oh, my mother used to say, it don't cost nothing to be kind, but we're so mean to each other at home. We're so unkind to each other at home. We say the worst things to one another. The people we say that we love the most, we are so unkind. We, we, but the Bible says the love, that love, agape is kind. Kindness is not passive but proactive. It is always looking for opportunities to put the needs of others first. Kindness says, I want to bless your socks off. I want to put a smile on my wife's face today. I want to put a smile. I want to just shock him with, 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 with something that he doesn't expect or even deserve. Thank God that he doesn't give us what we deserve. Aren't you glad about that? What makes your, your, your spouse's day? How can you put a smile on your husband's face today. Well, I'm going to, I got to give me, let me figure this out. Let me go and go, whatever you got to do to figure it out. I remember a woman at my church, one former church she had, she said, kindness is not natural to me. <laughs> I'd never heard anybody say that. She said, I have to be an intentionally kind, I have to, I have to decide because I'm not a kind person. Brothers, if you're considering marry, some, marry somebody, if they tell you they're not namely kind, that's a check mate. You out. What makes my husband's day? Do you purposely seek ways to bless your spouse? Oh, of course I do. Would he or she agree? Would you, if, if your husband or wife was honest, would they say you purposely look for ways to bless them, to be kind? Do you smile in your husband or wife's presence? When the last, they didn't even know you didn't have any teeth. Yeah, all your teeth were removed. And by the way, thank you all for praying. I had emergency uh, 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 a surgery in my mouth on Wednesday. Thank you, guys. I'm feeling, this is the first day I felt like myself. Thank you, Jesus. But you didn't even know your husband had all of his teeth extracted because he ain't never smiling. But then when he gets to church, he can't stop smiling. Do you speak when your spouse comes in the house? Or are you mean and moody towards the person you say you love? Do you intentionally withhold kindness when you're upset? It's only con love. Kindness is not conditional. It's in spite of. It's sacrificial and active. It's God's kind of love. You can't put it out and pull it away because you had a bad day. Kindness is commanded by the word of God. When we fail to be kind to our spouses, to our children, to the people that God brings into our path, we are in sin. Mean. Kindness can save your marriage. Just a kind word to a person can keep them from committing suicide. I don't know how many people that I've, I've talked to and they shared their life story. They said, just when I was ready to pull the trigger or ready to do harm to myself, the phone rang and someone said, God loves you. Are you matter? That word of kindness kept them from taking their lives. Kindness may not cost you anything, but 
it sure can make a big difference in your marriage. Just being kind. Well, if she changes, no, 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 don't wait until he changes. Just start being kind. Seeking ways to proactively bless. Kindness. Kindness can make your husband come home at night. Kindness can cause a discouraged wife to get up off the mat and try again just because you were kind. It's inexcusable to be married and unkind. We might as well call it what it is. It's sin. It's, it's sin. Well, he should have spoke first. It don't matter. You're not going to let the devil get a foothold in your home because you have not withdrawn the deposit that God has put in your life. He said the love of Christ has been poured into our heart in an overflowing way. It's been deposited. Now you need to cash out by showing kindness. Here's the third thing. We're going to move on quickly. Love does not envy. Envy and jealousy are different. Jealousy is an attitude that says or causes you to think or feel that someone has an unfair advantage over you. Or God has blessed someone with that advantage, but he didn't choose to bless you. And because of that, now you got an attitude. It's called jealousy. Envy goes another step. It not only feels some kind of way, but envy say, I'm going to level the field. If you got an ice cream cone and I don't, I'm going to stick my foot out and trip you so you can drop your ice cream cone. Are you in competition with your spouse? Are you preventing your spouse, your wife, your husband, people in your home from becoming everything that they can be because you're jealous that it's not happening for you. Are you like Joseph's brothers? They despised him because of the favor of God on his life. Now watch this. And I, I, the, the, if the person lives with you and your wife is ascending up to the high levels of the corporate, corporate world and she's just balling and she gets money and credentials, you may not be getting it directly, but guess what? The overflow, guess where it comes? To you, you're married to a smart woman. Guess what that makes you? A smart man. You don't have to be in competition with your spouse. Are you able to rejoice when God blesses someone else, but he chooses not to bless you? They're getting ready to get married. You've been praying for 30 years, and you still don't have any prospects. Are you cool with that? The Bible says love is not envious. Love is not envious. Are you able? Are you able to celebrate your mate's successes. Are you able to do that? If not, I, 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 don't, I don't suspect suggest, suggest to you. God says that's envy. Does love, love does not brag about what it accomplishes. It does not brag. This is the kind of person who loves to, the praises from others all the time. So bragging is not only you having been uh, uh, blowing your own horn, it's loving for people to talk about your exploits as well. You just sit and do the Donald Trump thing. Everybody that talks, he's the greatest, the most, you know, golden statue in your name. It's called narcissism, church. They're always making every conversation evolve around them. I don't care what you're talking about. You can be talking about uh, the death of Martin Luther King, and before you know, yeah, I died too, and I, wait a minute, you didn't die. <laughs> 
<laughs> the last I know, I'm looking at you right now. And the surgery that they performed, I was in the operating. No, you weren't. You weren't even born. So how you get it? So somehow the person who has a bragging spirit figures out a way to make themselves as me, my, and I. They love to hear themselves talk. You ever talk to somebody like that? If you share something with them, they always have a matching story. And then mine, no, 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 you don't always have to have a matching story. Yours is not the same. And it's not your time. Sit down. You ain't on stage. This is the gong show. You know how they would pull people away with the, the wrap, with a cane around their neck and snatch them away? If you are married to a bragger, you will never be able to do anything that is good enough to please them because they believe that no one can do it as good as them. Now, I wasn't a bragging person, but I was a controlling person. And I would give somebody an assignment to do, and before they did it, I was already doing it because they couldn't do it like I did. And of course, if I did it, it was right. But if they did it, it was not good enough. And so one of the best things that God ever did to me was expose to me a sin that I was totally blind of. And the sin that I was blind of is pride. Pride. Constantly making the topic about you. Love is not puffed up. Love is not, isn't selfish. This is a person who thinks that she, he or she is better than everybody else. You actually have a superiority complex. There are people who are married to their mates, and they think that they're they could have done better. How did I get stuck with you? You know, uh, man, you'll never be on my level. I could still do better if I just wanted to. If I could just put myself together. No, you can't. God gave you who you had, and that's the best that he wanted for you. Now you need to learn how to love the, the, the one you're with. Don't be puffed up. Love isn't rude insensitive and, and, and abusive. When, if you're being abusive and rude and insensitive, then you're not loving, running on. Love is, is not easily angered or provoked. If you're married to someone, the least little thing, one minute they're smiling and loving you, next minute they're talking about, let's go outside and let's, let's, let's duke it out. Or, or you, 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 they, they are cool the day you go, go to work and come back, and then they don't speak to you for three weeks. You're living in the same house, sleeping in the same bed, eating the same food, wearing the same wedding ring, and they don't even talk to you. That's abuse. That, that's emotional abuse. That, 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 is not, that is not biblical. You shouldn't be wearing your emotions on your sleeve. Live with your feelings, not by them. The heart is deceitful. And here's the horrible part about when people are easily provoked. They're so arrogant in their, in their, in their right, right, in unrighteous indignation that they won't even tell you why they're mad. And then by the time they decide to come off Mount Olympus and not be angry anymore, they don't even remember why they were angry in the first place. Love does not keep records of wrong. People that say they love you, but they can't forgive you, they don't love you. And people that can't forgive you who say they love you, they are self-righteous. Because they don't recognize that the same forgiveness that they're withholding, God extends to them every single day, and they freely accept it. 
Love doesn't keep record. Well, I, 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 well, five years ago and ten years ago, whoa, 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 whoa. If God says I removed my sins as far as the east and the west and put them in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered more, what gives you the right to be digging up stuff that God says he doesn't even remember? You've got a better memory than God. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love thinks no evil. You know what that means? It doesn't think the worst first, that you are trying to figure out your, your, your wife's or husband's motive. I know they're up to something. Wait a minute. They just didn't tell you they're planning a surprise birthday party. Love protects. Love bears all things. It looks for ways to cover the weaknesses of your spouse rather than to expose and criticize. Love tries to cover a multitude of sin. Do you protect your spouse? Or do you expose them to be embarrassed and criticized? I do believe that we often need help. Well, sometimes, and one another, at some times in our marriage, we need help. But you have to be very, very, very careful about who you share things concerning your marriage. Love rejoices in the truth. What that means is it does not have to win to rejoice. You're not trying to be right. You just want to make it right. That's what it means to rejoice in the truth. You just want to make something right. You don't want to, well, I made her cry. I won. No, you didn't. <laughs> you just pushed your wife further away from you. Well, he won't get his meals. He, 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 he thought he won't have some sex tonight. He ain't had no sex tonight. I'll show him. You sure did because you not only deprived him, you deprived yourself as well. Who did you show? A, 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 a love that doesn't rejoice with the truth is like sitting on top of a snake that's, that's biting you and wishing the other person to die. Wait, you get bit by the snake. <laughs> love does not rejoice. Love rejoices in the truth. Love hopes all things. Always has a, a, a positive expectation of a favorable outcome. Here we go. Here we go. Love refuses to celebrate when people suffer. God finally got them. I knew. Here they go to jail. Their marriage ended in divorce, and their kids are on drugs. Oh, oh man, I knew that prayer would go. No, no, that didn't work. God, God doesn't want to destroy us. He wants to develop us, even when he doesn't deliver us. And so we're not rejoicing when people are suffering because of their bad decisions. Love endures. That is, love is consistent. It's not, you should know every day when I go home, if there's no other place in the world, I'm going to find a place of refuge because there's love in my house. Do you get, are you greeted in your own home with love? Love is consistent. It's not flaky. It's not, it's, it's not sometimey. It's consistent. It endures. And the Bible says love never fails. It never quits. It never quits. Let me finish with this. Love is enduring. Love is enduring when you love the one you with. He says, and now abides faith and hope, love, these three things, but the greatest of all. And he talks about, he says uh, that gifts will go away, and that which is imperfect shall be replaced with the, in, with, with the perfect, 
and that the immature will become mature when we are in the presence of the Lord. So some things are going to go away, but the greatest thing that will always remain throughout eternity is agape love, God's unconditional, sacrificial, in spite of active love, which is focused on us. God says, I'll never take that away, nor will I relieve you from the responsibility. Even in heaven, love will be there, flowing not only from God but from us to one another. Jesus said, one of the new commandments I give you, that men will know that you belong to me. Not by how, you, how many degrees you have by your name and how long you've been married and where your address happens to be, how much money you have in the bank and what people think about you when you walk in the room. But people will know that you belong to me by your love. By your sacrificial, unconditional, active, inspired, that's how they're going to know that I'm real, that you belong to me is by love, by your love, the love that God has put in our hearts. As I take my seat, I'm reminded of a little girl. She, played, she pleaded and begged her mother to get her a doll. Then finally, her mother saved up enough. This little baby was very expensive. She brought the doll to her daughter, and she finally gave it to him. She was so excited. Thank you, Mom. I know you love me, Mom. You brought me my favorite toy. And she took the doll, and she, my mom didn't see her for the rest of the day. And then the next morning, she woke up, and the mother found the doll inside the trash container with the arms torn off, the legs broken off. And she said, well, what happened to the doll? Let me go get my daughter. So she goes up and said, baby, what happened to that expensive doll? I brought you. I thought you, she said, I, uh, mom, I, I don't want that doll. I, I, don't, I don't like the doll. She said, well, why not? She said, well, I keep loving the doll. And I hugged the doll and I kissed the doll and I gave water to the doll. But it never loves me back. It never loves me back. I want you to know that when we don't love people according to to their unique love languages. I don't care how much money you pour in it, how many counseling sessions you go to, how many people you have talking, pouring into your life. If they, if they don't receive love the right way, they will never be able to fully love you back. Love the one you're with according to the word of God. Love them according to the uniqueness of how God has designed them. And God will bless your marriage, bless your family, bless your relationship. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pause before you in humble adoration again, learning, some of us for the first time, the importance the, that love is essential, love is edifying, love is enduring. But most importantly, God, we've learned that without love, according to the specifications that you've given in your word about how love should be expressed in the uniqueness of the language of love that our mates and our children and the people we say we love speak. It profits us nothing. And so, Father, for those of us who want our marriages to grow, those of us who really genuinely love our spouses, may we learn what their love language is and may we do everything that we can to show them love in the way that will help them to become all that God wants us to be. Because without love, we will not flourish. Love is to a marriage what water is to a plant. It makes it grow. 
Now, Father, we thank you and we bless you for all that you have done and all that you said. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.